Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another stupendous installment. From high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Well, good morning again, my friends, and welcome to the program. We begin this morning deep in the bowels of the Pravda on the Platte. It's becoming an obsession. I really can't get enough of that. Anyhow, on page C3, the article is entitled Permitless Carry Laws Raise New Dilemmas for Police Officers. The first question we should ask is, why did they put this article way back in Section C? Well, it's probably because they correctly assumed that had they put it on page 1, they'd lose the few remaining readers that they actually have. Need I remind you that they had to sell that giant building they had in Casper and move into a former liquor store. In any case, from the article, and I quote... Many celebrate the end of the bureaucracy erected around what they consider every American's constitutional right to carry any firearm they want. But permitless carry laws have created a dilemma for officers working the streets. They now have to decide, sometimes in seconds, if someone with the right to carry a gun is in danger. Huh? Now, this might come as a surprise to Lee Enterprises, the Virginia-based parent company of the Casper Star Tribune, but uh, the crime rate in Wyoming is actually pretty low. Presumably, of course, that everybody you meet on the street is more likely than not packing a gun. Anyway, skip a couple paragraphs, and the article continues, and I quote, Advocates say permitless carry makes people safer. Opponents say it's more dangerous. Quote, it's no secret why so many law enforcement leaders are speaking out against permitless carry laws, says John Feinblatt, president of Every Town for Gun Safety. Allowing anyone to carry a gun anywhere makes the job of a police officer harder and more dangerous. Gun violence is up nationwide. There have been 35,000 deaths in the U.S. so far this year, following 45,000 deaths in 2020 and the same in 2021. About 79% of the killings in 2020 involved a firearm, the highest percentage since at least 1968. End quote. Uh Uh-huh. But not in Wyoming. Now, I'll grant you there have been a few instances of suicide by cop. But there again, if you're a criminal, that is one of the occupational hazards. One of the reasons that Wyoming has such a low crime rate is if you're a criminal, there is a high likelihood that your potential victims are going to be armed and may kill you, in no small part due to Wyoming's constitutional carry law. The timidity with which the Casper Star Tribune published this article is clear evidence that even those crazy liberals down in Casper know that any suggestion of removing Wyoming's constitutional carry law is a loser at best. But, being the progressive liberal redcoats that they are, they have to plant the seed. Much like you bury the bulb of a geranium, they have to hide this little gem in Section C. 
providing, of course, that anyone even gets through the liberal drivel to Section C, if the public reads it, it'll begin to create doubt in their mind that, well, maybe, you know, we don't need this whole constitutional carry thing. It's just another example how the vast majority of the media is populated by people who are very liberal and do want to take away your guns. Yeah, 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 I know, that makes me one of these crazy people that's always saying the government wants to take your guns. Um, that's because they do. I direct your attention to coloradopolitics.com from May 18th of 2021 in an article entitled Senate Democrats Pass Preemption Bill That Allows Local Governments to Pass Stricter Gun Laws. And I quote, Senate Democrats Tuesday over strong objections from the Republican minority passed Senate Bill 256, a bill that lifts the state's ban on local governments passing stricter gun laws than those that exist in state law. Skip a paragraph, quote, But we also know the impact of guns. The violence that results from them is different in every community as well, noting that the vast majority of suicides come from guns. It's appropriate to allow the local body closest to their citizens to pass ordinances that they believe are best for the community. End quote. Oh, so it can happen. And then there's this. An article entitled, Boulder, Colorado Considers Aggressive Local Gun Control in Wake of Preemption Repeal, from February 23rd of this year, and I quote, Looking to take advantage of their newly granted authority, officials in the city of Boulder, Colorado are prepared to move full steam ahead on what could become the strictest gun laws in the state. At a Boulder City Council study session meeting earlier this month, members of the council gave the green light to officially consider a sweeping package of new gun control ordinances. They would do everything from prohibiting open carry, severely limiting locations available for licensed concealed carry, requiring a 10-day waiting period for licensed gun sales, and reinstating the city's assault weapons and magazine bans. Now, Boulder has always been the bastion of every conceivable rendition of liberal idiocracy. I remember when I was in college in Denver back in the early 2000s that Boulder passed an ordinance that you couldn't smoke tobacco outside. Global warming and all of that. But none of this was conceivable when Republicans controlled the Colorado legislature. And then the Democrats took over. The obvious reason why they repealed the preemption statute is that liberal towns like Boulder would pass tougher gun restrictions, and secondly, because most towns in the West have a historical town ordinance preventing the carry of firearms within city limits. Allow me to demonstrate. Section 151 passed June 10th, 1887 for the city of Buffalo, Wyoming. Quote, it shall be unlawful for any person in the city of Buffalo to keep or bear upon their person any pistol, revolver, knife, slingshot, blowgun, or any lethal weapon except the officers of the United States, of the state, and of the city. Any person convicted of a violation of this section shall be fined not less than $10 nor more than $50. Now I know what you're thinking. Now, David, this thing is old and it's, it's historical and it doesn't really mean anything in 2022. Uh-huh. I direct your attention to Section 16-36 of the City of Buffalo, Wyoming Ordinances on the cityofbuffalowyoming.com. Quote, 
It shall be unlawful for any person in the city of Buffalo to keep or bear upon the person or carry in a public place upon the person any pistol, revolver, knife, slingshot, blowgun, or any lethal weapon except the officers of the United States, of the state, and of the city of Buffalo. End quote. Now, I realize that this is a whole bunch of ifs, but if the Democrats were to take over the Wyoming state legislature, they could easily repeal, just like Colorado did, the preemption statute, and then overnight, all of these historical ordinances that are probably still on the books in many communities, just like Buffalo, Wyoming, those ordinances would go into effect immediately. And gun control would be on the books without any abuse from the press, without any large, bold-type headlines, and really without any effort at all. Fortunately for us, though, we have a couple of things going for us, and I'll tell you about them after the break. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. Well, we're experiencing an Indian summer. Still kind of nice weather, but I promise you, my friends, all of those shiny playthings that you've spent so much money on are about to be covered with snow. Lots and lots of it. Now, if that doesn't sound like a really good idea to you, well, maybe you should call my friends Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. 307-674-2532. These two guys are the experts in protecting all of your fun summertime playthings. They've been in the business of metal building construction longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So, if you don't want all those four-wheelers, your boat, and that shiny Harley-Davidson of yours to be living in a snowbank for the next nine months, give Nick and Jesse a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. Right now is the highest we've ever seen gun markets. And the best performers are the vintage collectible firearms, Winchesters, Colts, and rare military weapons. Over in Cody, Gunrunner Auctions is one of the nation's leading online auction houses, and they're celebrating their 23rd year. They specialize in estate firearms. Scott Weber, the owner, first travels to the estate and then appraises the firearms for the heirs, and then he takes them to his Cody auction facility, where he and his team research them, sometimes getting letters from the Cody Museum. They only charge 15% for selling your precious firearms. All of their auctions start at 20 bucks with no reserve. They've sold the personal collections of Elvis Presley, Steve McQueen, Alex McCord, and Herb Parsons, just to name a few. Go to GunRunnerAuctions.com and you'll find just about any type of firearm that you could think of. And it's not just guns they offer. They've got a large selection of ammunition and gun accessories. So it doesn't really matter what type of firearm or ammunition or accessory you're looking for. Go to GunRunnerAuctions.com. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the program. If you're one of these sneaky Democrat liberals and you want to take everybody's guns, well, maybe you could go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and find out that I'm already on to you. And now, back to the program.
Okay, Wyoming has a couple of different laws that protect the ownership of your firearms. I already mentioned the most important one of them. That's the preemption statute that says that state law supersedes local ordinances. Without that one, all of us gun fanatics are totally screwed. We'd be at the mercy of whomever gets elected to our respective city councils. If that happens to be me in Buffalo, Wyoming, the very first thing I'm doing is moving to repeal that dumb ordinance concerning the carrying of firearms within the city limits. That thing's a goner. But I digress. Another important Wyoming law concerning the ownership of firearms is our constitutional carry law, that you don't have to have a permit to carry a concealed weapon. And the most recent one is Senate File 102, the Second Amendment Protection Act. This makes it a crime for any government official, that means police officer, mayor, secretary, bureaucrat, to enforce any unconstitutional government mandate concerning your Second Amendment rights. There is only one candidate that I'm aware of left in the field that is running against Senate File 102. He thinks that's a terrible idea. His name is Larry Williamson, and he's running in House District 53. Now, I was going to leave him alone, because really, I don't think that he has a chance in beating the incumbent, Chris Knapp. That was until I found a questionnaire that he had filled out that was published on County 17 News. Before I get started on this, I have made numerous attempts to get Mr. Williamson to come on Cowboy State Politics. I've emailed him, I've sent him Facebook messages, I've commented on his posts... But he doesn't think that he should come on the program because, you know, it's just a little podcast and he needs to focus in his district. I agree. He really ought to. Let's begin with the questionnaire that's published on County 17 News. You can find a link to it at CowboysStatePolitics.com. Question number eight. Quote, Compared with other candidates running in this election, why are you the best candidate for this position? Here's Larry Williamson's response. Quote, I am honest and I engage in tough topics, unlike establishment candidates that take no position or contradict their positions routinely. End quote. Insinuating, of course, that his opponent, conservative representative Chris Knapp, is neither honest nor takes any position on tough topics. That's a load of bullcrap. And it just so happens I have an interview with Representative Knapp that I'll play for you in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to deal with Mr. Larry Williamson. Question number three. Quote, if you're elected, what's on your bucket list as a state representative? And down in the paragraph, he says, and I quote, Our gun rights must be defended, but recently they were compromised with the passage of Senate File 102 in exchange for federal funds. End quote. I would call this a bald-faced lie, but I don't think that Larry Williamson has even read the law, because it specifically prevents any form of government in the state of Wyoming from accepting federal funds to infringe on the Second Amendment rights of Wyoming citizens. And if you don't want to pull up the article and read what he has to say, here's him saying it in his own words. So then we have... SF0102... It's already been hit on twice tonight. Um, Second Amendment Protection Act. So, from what I read, I don't think it protects me. Um, I think it could actually signal D.C. to bring in unconstitutional laws into Wyoming. I think it's really nice. It doesn't do nothing to stop it. 
Oh, really, Mr. Williamson? Since you obviously haven't read the law, allow me to. And I quote, This state and all political subdivisions of this state are prohibited from using any personnel or funds appropriated by the legislature of the state of Wyoming or any other source of funds that originated within the state of Wyoming to enforce, administer, or cooperate with any unconstitutional act, law, treaty, executive order, rule, or regulation of the United States government that infringes on or impedes the free exercise of individual rights guaranteed under the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. B. Nothing in this act shall limit or restrict a public officer, as defined by Wyoming Statute 65101A, from providing assistance to federal authorities for the purposes not specifically identified in subsection A of this section. Nothing in this act shall be construed to prohibit Wyoming governmental entities from accepting federal funds for law enforcement purposes. So, in other words, Mr. Williamson, everything that is mentioned in subsection A is against the law, which means which means that no unconstitutional mandates, executive orders, treaties, etc. can be enforced in the state of Wyoming, and no funds can be used to do so. Well, anyhow, just because I have the rest of what Larry Williamson had to say about Senate File 102, the Second Amendment Protection Act, I'll let you listen to it, and then we'll talk about it. With reference to what it says, federal funds aren't prohibited. Local officers can assist with federal funds. Again, that is absolutely not true. I just read it to you. Let's continue. I mean, it doesn't say it, but I know this is how it would happen. Bill, you would probably know. I'm going to have to wait for a court to decide if it would do some right. So, uh, they do what they want, court decides later. That's not the contention. Yep, that's what it said. A penalty is based upon if the act was done unknowingly. Five minutes. Okay. Um, so, you can't prove unknowingly. I can do something I can say all day. I know that you'll find this hard to believe, but he's wrong about that last part, too. Here's what the law actually says. Any public officer, as defined in Wyoming Statute 65101A, and the only thing that statute does is it says what a public officer is, who knowingly violates subsection A, that's the part of this law that says all the things that you can't do, of this section is guilty of a misdemeanor punishable by imprisonment of not more than one year, a fine of not more than $2,000, or both. End quote. So there's what Williamson is referring to. But what the law says is anyone who knowingly violates this subsection. That is called mens rea. It means state of mind. Every single criminal statute that has ever been written has a mens rea component to it. Let me give you an example. If you're charged with trespassing and the responding officer asks you, did you cross this fence? And you say, yes. You knowingly crossed the boundary, and you are therefore guilty of trespassing. Or let me just give you one more, more serious example. Let's say you go out to the bar one night, and you get drunk, you hop in your vehicle, and you hit someone on the way home. You don't realize it, so you go all the way home, and you put your car in the garage. Well, the officer is going to come and inform you in the morning, Hey man, we think you ran over this person, and if you say, I don't know that I hit him, 
that's not going to get you out of it. It's just a ridiculous argument, and it's further evidence that Larry Williamson really doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. Well, anyway, enough about him. Now, it just so happens that I have a great interview with Larry Williamson's opponent, the incumbent House 53 Representative Chris Knapp. Again, I have tried numerous times to get Larry Williamson to come on this program, and he just pretty much refuses. So I see no reason why we just shouldn't listen to what Christopher Knapp has to say. It's a great discussion. Here it is. So, Chris, this is your first time on the program. So if you could, why don't you just tell our listeners about yourself? Well, I'm a fifth generation resident um, here in Campbell County, and I've held public office before, um, three terms as a county commissioner. And then I served for Roy Edwards, who passed away for House District 53. Um, and I covered his, his first term, basically his unexpired term, and then his second term. So, so now I'm seeking re-election for that. Um, own two businesses here in town. One's a uh, equipment company and one's a leasing company. So I've done that for about 20 years and we'll continue to do that, do that for the future. Right on. Well, I guess the, the first and obvious question is, why are you seeking re-election? The biggest reason I'm seeking re-election is, is the same reason that I volunteered to put my name in for the, for the first appointment, which was an appointment versus an election. But I'm very concerned about the freedoms that are being eroded daily um, by the federal government. And uh, concerned as well, somewhat at the state level that we reinforce the constitution, not only our state constitution, but reinforce uh, our national constitution, US constitution, because I do feel that it's important to cover all of our freedoms, whether it be speech, whether it be our medical freedoms, whether it be our right to own, own guns, all of that I think is, is slowly being chipped away um, by this administration. Our freedoms and our rights are being eroded away. And actually eroded is probably kind of the understatement of the century. <laughs> um, but so what can Wyoming do to uh, put up roadblocks to the federal government? I mean, what specifically are you are you interested in doing? Well, I think number one is giving uh, the funding availability of funding for the AG to get involved in lawsuits, because what typically is happening is the federal government is overstepping its bounds. It is mandating unconstitutional edicts, if you will. And it's our responsibility to sue immediately to get those moving through the courts so that people don't have to deal with the consequences of having those even in place for three months, six months, to the point where they either lose a job, um, lose livelihood, and things that, that have just been occurring, even with not being able to sit with a loved one when they pass. So that's number one, is being able to provide funding to be able to join in other states with lawsuits that affect the Constitution. Um, number two is to reinforce our own Constitution and make sure that even if there are mandates given out that in Wyoming, that we don't have to abide by those mandates. Um, and I think that's just giving the people the, the power back um, when the national government does uh, step on the Constitution. That's, that's our duty. 
So I, I think those are the two biggest things that we can do is be preemptive in writing law to make sure that we're not having to abide by an unconstitutional mandate. And number two, suing them when, when we see that is, is the case. One of the things that struck me out of this past legislative session, speaking of the special session, yes. but in your opinion, what should have been done differently there? I mean, there were multiple pieces of legislation that brought to the floor. None of them really panned out to anything. Looking back on the special session and forward to the next session, what would you like to change? What would you like to enact to secure some of those constitutional rights for Wyoming citizens? Well, the special session, I think, was needed, number one, but it was frustrating because you did have members, some members going into it thinking that it was irrelevant, that it was a waste of money, a waste of time, and really didn't take part in um, our legislative duties to protect those rights. I think uh, both in leadership and, and in certain members, they just did not take it as seriously as our freedom should be taken. Um, so one thing that I think our job is to do is convince other legislators that, you know, for instance, Canada's already mandating for monkeypox vaccinations. The, the comments that, well, it doesn't matter here or that it's irrelevant or that um, uh, just get the vax or th things like that, I think it's our job to, to convey the importance of freedom, just basic freedoms to other members to make sure that we can write the proper legislation and we can pass the proper legislation. Everything was watered down um, at that point and it, and it was a frustrating session because it was an important one to have. Um, I think that not all the members saw the importance of it. Well, and a lot of them had taken campaign money from Pfizer and the Wyoming Medical PAC and the Wyoming Education Association. So I mean, there were there were competing agendas that were going on there. That oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it was super frustrating for me because you know you do all this research and you know exactly what's going on, and then you see it happen, you know, with your own eyes, and you're like, man, if if all if all Wyoming citizens could just watch this, right? And it's one of those things that again, I think people are inundated with so much so fast right now. I mean, everything's coming at people so quickly since the pandemic that they forget that they have medical freedom. It's in our constitution. Yeah. It's article they one, section the, 38. Exactly. The right to privacy, the right to uh, choose your, choose your doctor and, and the treatment that you choose. Um, and I think that, that when people don't educate themselves or don't remember what freedoms they actually have and are granted to them by, by God, um, and the Constitution just basically reinforces and um, acknowledges those those freedoms and those rights. Um, then, then they slowly start to be stepped on and and overridden. And so that's that's one of the reasons why that special session was so important too is to almost re-educate people on on what your rights are. Well, you mentioned education, and I. I... I think that that's, that's one thing. I mean, even adults, I mean, sometimes we talk about education and we just think it's, you know, little kids, but you know, there's a lot of meetings I go to and I'll, I always ask, okay, raise your hand if you've read the Wyoming constitution. And 
it always surprises me how few hands actually go up. Right. So looking forward to next session, are you guys going to take another crack at uh, critical race theory and banning or doing something with uh, keeping that out of Wyoming schools? Oh, I definitely think there'll be another bill out for that. Um, you know, there was a lot of, it'll depend too on, on what happens with, with leadership, um, what's allowed to, to reach the floor and what's not. But um, I do believe that bill will come back in the very same fashion in the same form until we can get it passed. And again, I think all of these things, whether it's, whether it's um, mandatory vaccinations, whether it's critical race theory, all of these things still need to be chipped away at and protected. And I don't care how many sessions it takes, get those into place. Well, another issue concerning education, and I'm sure you're keenly aware of this, is the budget. And we all know, or most of us know, that if we don't do something with the education budget and do it quickly, it's going to become unmanageable and we'll never be able to to get it back in the box. So in your opinion, what can be done to get education funding down to a more manageable level? Well, that's the, that's a big, big question. So in my view, what I, what I see is the problem is number one, not enough time is spent on big issues in Wyoming. You know, we, we see 600 bills come in the, in the off budget session maybe 300 to 400 bills coming in a budget session, each requiring time. And then the larger issues don't get that same, that same weight, um, especially to solve. So education has a couple different problems. I think first we need to define what education is. Um, and, and that should be done in conjunction with, of course, local school boards. But we need to define what education is as a, as a state our citizens need to be very vocal in defining that. And then number two, we need a steady stream of funding um, because as you know, minerals basically dictate the budget sometimes as far as revenue goes. And so you have this increase and decrease of revenues and causes deficits in education, of course. I honestly believe that education should be decided on a local level, but that but those local boards and the state association should be involved with the legislature in coming up with solutions. So those solutions are going to have to be what is going to fund education for the future and how can we right-size education um, to be manageable? Uh, because those districts basically sometimes say, here's what it costs and give us the money, you know. And we have a court, two court cases to, to back it up. And, and so just keep the money flowing and, and have an automatic increase every year. And uh, that's no longer sustainable um, for Wyoming. Uh, when you're running a $300 million deficit in education, uh, that gets rid of savings pretty quickly. And so um, I would say first and foremost, we need to prioritize it, give it the time it needs, um, have conjunction with the local districts and come up with definitions, costs, and then revenues. Okay, fair enough. So do you have any bills planned for this next upcoming session or have you gotten that far? I guess a better question is what would you like to do? What I would like to do is concentrate, number one, on the freedoms 
um, that we talked about. Number two, I'm very concerned with one freedom that has been lost. And I think one of the very first freedoms that was lost for both Wyoming and, and the states was the freedom of energy, not having the government put its thumb on one industry or another to dictate basically what energy we use. That is a freedom. That is a freedom that we lost. And so one of the things I want to concentrate on is making sure that we have those freedoms back and that Wyoming starts to look at uh, those as energy versus commodity. So rather than shipping coal down the road, that we do use that blended energy um, mix to basically remarket ourselves to those states that need us, whether it's Texas, California, even Nevada, those states still need our energy, um, no matter where it comes from, whether it's coal, whether it's nuclear, whether it's wind, solar, whatever. And they still buy our coal, sometimes through the back door, <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that their policies remain in effect, but they're still providing for their, their constituents. And so I think that Wyoming needs to play to that and basically remarket ourselves as an energy producing state rather than a commodity state. And, and that will fit some of the definitions that people need to have for their, for their policies. Um, but I'd like to concentrate in that area to kind of make sure that Wyoming has a solid economic future, which goes along with funding education and funding the, the needs of Wyoming, as well as making sure that everybody has a, a high paying job and, and benefits and continues to provide for their families. Well, that'll do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again on the live episode tomorrow at 10 a.m. You can find the link to the live stream at cowboystatepolitics.com, or I'll post it on the Facebook page. So until tomorrow, from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.